0: Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
1: My 7 Chakras, Episode 49. If you can dream it, you can make it a reality. The 7 Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head for thousands of years. This ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. Kumar. On
0: your marks, get set, bliss. What's happening action takers? AJ here and I want to announce that we are just one episode away from our 50th episode and this is a big moment for our growing community of action takers that includes you. That's right you but let me ask you this. Are you a part of our growing Facebook group yet? Well all you have to do is go to Facebook and search for my7chakras and once you find it send us a join request because members get exclusive access to tips, articles, thoughts, and episodes that will surely change your life. So what are you waiting for? Join the My7Chakras Facebook group today. Now let's move on to today's episode. I am excited to bring you our featured guest, Tammy Goldstein. Tammy, are you ready to inspire? Yes, I am. (laughs) Awesome. So Tammy Goldstein is a certified craniosacral therapist. She is the international award-winning author of Coming through the Fog, her daughter's journey to functioning recovery of autism. She is a national speaker, educator, advocate, and consultant. So, Tammy, I've given our listeners a short intro. So, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Well, my daughter was diagnosed with autism at her 13th, around her 13th birthday, and it changed our world. And with a lot of faith and a lot of hard work, We were able to overcome it. And if I can give back to anybody out there who is dealing with autism right now, I'm grateful to do that. And that's what's really motivated me since Heather's recovery, to give back to others and to work and teach and speak and advocate for autism.
0: Well, thanks a lot for that introduction. Now, before we get into today's topic, we begin our show with an inspirational quote to get us into a space of awareness and learning. So Tammy, what is your favorite inspirational quote? And give us one example of how you apply this quote to your everyday life.
1: If you can dream it, you can make it a reality. I put my faith out there that with hard work, that if I put my head down and work hard, that I can achieve what I want most in life. And so far, that's fared very well for me. I've always wanted a family and children and, you know, certainly when when my daughter got sick, uh, you know, my faith to help her get recovery and to help others have all manifested. So I, I try to instill every day, what's my dream? I can make that a reality.
0: So you mentioned if you dream it, you can make it a reality. And that is a really Powerful, because if somebody has to put his or her head down and work hard, working hard is great, but if you just work hard, what are you working towards? Where are you going? Which direction are you going or heading towards? And that's why it's so important to dream and dream big.
1: Yes. So thanks a
0: lot for sharing, Tammy. Thank you. So let's dive into the main topic, the main portion of today's interview. What inspired you to write Coming Through the Fog?
1: I was actually appalled at what I learned on the journey to get my daughter to functioning recovery, the fight to find medical care that could give me a diagnosis. I had so many diagnoses for her. I didn't know what direction to turn. You know, that's part of the problem with figuring out about autism. It's not a blood test, right? Mm -hmm. And most, 90% of kids with autism have some kind of other secondary issues going on. So... You know, To find medical care that can diagnose, to find accessible, affordable therapies, to battle with an educational system in the United States that, in a sense, legally discriminates against kids with autism, I was appalled. And I spent every penny we had, and I thought, I'm going to give back. Here, my Heather is doing so well, I'm going to help another family, because not everybody has... The resources, the stamina, the contacts, the networking ability uh, to get it all together and to, and to figure it out. So, let me make their journey a little easier. That's my main focus.
0: So, you mentioned that you initially were looking out for some medical care, some solution to the challenge that you were facing. And wherever you went, you saw many alternatives, you saw many options, but you were amazed and overwhelmed about what to do next. And you also pointed out to the fact that a lot of people are looking for a solution, but the solution does not only have to be effective, but it also has to be affordable because not everyone can afford uh, some of the medical care that's available, but it's very expensive. And finally, and really important, you mentioned uh, the social stigma because uh, such a situation becomes challenging for the kids, especially at school. Yes. And at play because the other kids, the other parents as well, sometimes do not understand what the kid and the family is going through. So, for the benefit of our audience, could you define what is autism and how did you first come to know about your daughter's autism?
1: Well, let me just say that um, autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder Mm -hmm. that affects communication, um, social skills, and could come with other learning challenges, so, uh, you know, as I said, there's not one clear blood test. Mm-hmm. So a, a child can present in any one of a number of different areas. Uh, it used to be that um, we didn't just have one autism spectrum disorder. There were various definitions. So you had classic autism and mental retardation. And then when you moved up this spectrum, you had what's considered high-functioning autism, which is pervasive developmental disorder, and Asperger's syndrome. Um, They all present with the same characteristics, but to various degrees. And now, it's all been clumped together as autistic spectrum disorders, and it's really important to try to figure out how your child presents autism um, to understand what therapies that you need. So you mentioned that under the broad umbrella of autistic
0: spectrum disorders, there might be different classifications. But basically, there are three areas uh, which are affected. One is communication, social skills, or maybe the child might have some sort of a learning challenges. And I want to ask this to you. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention Prevalence of autism in U.S. children increased by 119% from 2000 to 2010. So autism is definitely the fastest growing development disability. Why are so many children currently being diagnosed?
1: Well, and that's a very controversial answer. And I will say this, that currently in the United States, autism prevalence is 1 in 45. Mm -hmm. Those are today's statistics. Prior to 1973, it was one in ten thousand. Wow! So we have seen autism systematically increase tenfold, and according to Dr. Senef of the MIT research uh, facility, um, she's predicting one in two by 2025. Um, the causes? Well, there's a couple issues here. There is no real single cause for autism. You can't do a blood test to definitively diagnose it, though about 10%, you can have a definitive diagnosis of causation conditions. But the other 90% can be a puzzle. Now, there have been a lot of studies that have come through lately, one saying that if the mother took antidepressants when she was pregnant, uh, another one said that the father might have been older when the child was conceived. Mm -hmm. And the last one I'll bring up is vaccines. And uh, we could go round and round about this issue. It is a hotbed issue for sure. Um, Who wouldn't want their child um, vaccinated for a deadly disease? But I'm one of those parents. Personally, I question the safety of vaccines because I watched my perfectly healthy daughter develop autism after she was vaccinated. And and it wasn't just autism. Heather's litany of issues, which is very common amongst kids on the spectrum, she had systemic rashes, she had seizures, she had full body tics, she had immune system disorders, severe environmental and food allergies, um, behavioral issues, obsessive compulsiveness, attention deficit, obsessive defiant disorder, sensory processing disorder, respiratory illnesses. The list went on and on and on. And as I said, I had a perfectly normal, healthy, intelligent, honorable child, and then she was vaccinated and something happened. I think we need to be looking at how many we're giving at once, mm-hmm. what neurotoxins are inside these vaccines, how much is safe for anybody's in particular weight. And like anything, I think that those decisions about vaccinating or not vaccinating should be between a parent and a doctor with no threat of uh, pressure or coercion if the parent does not think it's appropriate for their child or for themselves. so. But is there a clear cause of autism? No, there isn't. And nobody really seems to want to look Added head on. Now, the Italian government came out last year and said, in their opinion, definitively, vaccines cause autism. Mm -hmm. But again, as I said, that's a controversial issue. We can have a whole show just about that. So what we do know is that it's an epidemic and that more and more children are suffering.
0: So those are some big statistics. You mentioned that right now it's 1 in 45. A few years ago, it was 1 in 10,000. In 2025, they predict it might be 1 in 2, which is pretty scary. And you mentioned that there's no single cause for autism right? because you can't really figure it out through a blood test. It is confusing. And you mentioned that your daughter acquired it through a vaccination. So to boil it down, what questions can parents ask when their kids are getting vaccinated?
1: What what should they ask? Because I, I think it can get confusing, right? Well, it can get confusing. I ask for the product insert label. Just like you read the can or the box of the ingredients on your vegetables, I want to know what's in that vaccine. And when I'm looking at the level of neurotoxins or the additives like the sorbitol in the measles, mumps, and rubella shot, I want to look at what the FDA warning is on that. If the FDA is saying that sorbitol should never, ever be injected, then why is it in a vaccine being injected into children? So the other thing is there are no studies that show the effectiveness of multiple vaccines. And is it safe? Why are we giving nine vaccines to a six-month baby on a well check? So you know, there's there's not not a list that comes with clear questions, but those are some of the questions that that you should be looking at and uh, take uh, injecting anything into your child's body as serious as you do buying a car seat. We check the safety, and if that safety is not what it should be. We expect to be able to have um, ramifications against the manufacturer. And that's not always the case with vaccines. So um, those are tough decisions for a parent should make to make. And they should be able to make them freely.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you became a licensed, certified craniosacral therapist after your daughter's diagnosis. So what is craniosacral therapy and how did it help your daughter's recovery? Well...
1: Um, I had never heard of cranial sacral therapy before. Mm -hmm. The first avenue I went to for Heather was to find an occupational therapist that specialized in sensory processing disorders. And when I found her and she evaluated Heather and there were substantial sensory processing differences, I had some serious concerns because Heather was experiencing 40 seizures a day. And the major medical facility here wanted to do brain surgery. They made it very clear that it probably wouldn't help. It wasn't the area of the brain where epilepsy derives from, but they wanted to poke around. And and literally, I was a very concerned mother speaking to the occupational therapist, looking for help in trying to figure out how to make a tough decision. And the occupational therapist said, I'm chained, trained in cranial sacral therapy. I said, cranial what? <laughs> Um, she would go on to tell me that it's a light-touch therapy. It's done over the clothing. It can detect and correct restrictions within the cranial system that cause sensory, motor, or mental dysfunction. And that for Heather's case, she thought it would be most beneficial to reduce her seizures, to reduce her anxiety, to reduce her obsessive compulsiveness, and to improve on her sensory system. I was amazed. I was amazed at how non-invasive it was. It was considered alternative, yet the cranial sacral system was developed, was discovered in 1975 by Dr. John E. Upledger, and he ultimately developed craniosacral sacral therapy. He found that by using the bones of the skull in a very gentle manner, we can make corrections beneath the skull, to the structures beneath the skull. So still considered alternative because with any any alternative medicine or any therapies that you can't do a double-blind study with, when it's functional medicine specifically designed for what that particular person needs, you can't do double-blind studies. So it was amazing what it did for Heather it uh, Heather used to have five days shutdowns where she couldn 't walk or talk, and uh, after that first cranial sacral session, not only did she get off the table, and the girl who couldn 't hug or touch me for years hug and kiss me and thank me for getting her help, but when we drove home and i couldn 't wait to tell my husband, Heather went into her room so as i 'm explaining this whole thing to my husband. He's shaking his head because by this point, we were pretty much out of money. Heather was getting a lot of help. Eight years of pharmaceutical drugs didn't work. I was looking for answers. Sensory integration. We didn't have money for the cranial sacral therapy. But instead of Heather going into a five-day shutdown, she only, the next day, she was up. It was like she went to bed at night and woke up the next morning. And it was like a new child. She was engaged. She could make eye contact. She sat down and ate breakfast with us. She hadn't had a meal with us in years. Uh, We saw the child that was trapped underneath all of that fog. And we continued with cranial sacral therapy and some other uh, therapies to augment all that. And it was nothing short of a miracle for us.
0: So you mentioned that your daughter was having definitely a challenge. There were 40 seizures a day. And the occupational therapist who you spoke to said that she has an alternative form, uh, an alternative practice that could probably help your daughter, a light touch therapy, which is a practice that helps correct restrictions in the skull that cause sensory or motor dysfunctions. And because it was non-invasive, you sort of said, uh, you thought about it and said, let's go ahead with it. But you were surprised that you saw results after just the first session. And that's amazing.
1: Yes. Yes. And I was so impressed with it. I went back to school and certified in it, you know, and I uh, my goal, of course, was to specialize. And I do with children with autism and neurodevelopmental delays. But it really has opened up an entire practice of helping people that are in pain or chronic pain, depression, anxiety, post-surgery recoveries for a whole variety of health. Health issues, and I just feel um, honored that I found this path to help people. Oh, I, I'm still 12 years later, as as amazed with cranial sacral therapy as the first time I saw it. It, it facilitated.
0: Mm-hmm. So, listeners, after I heard that Tammy was. A licensed practitioner in craniosacral therapy I went online I went to Google I went to YouTube just to see what it's all about and I saw a video where somebody was uh, you know giving somebody a session on in, in this practice and the video looked beautiful and the patient seemed so relaxed uh, as the practitioner was conducting this therapy lightly touching different parts of the skull uh, in a way that it, I think, stimulates uh, certain uh, energy centers or nerve points that induce that sort of relaxation. Am I correct?
1: Well, yeah. Um, the cranial sacral system is made up of the brain mm-hmm. and the cerebral spinal fluid that supports it, mm-hmm. the membrane system, and the bones of the skull, face, mouth, and spine. And it gives off a rhythm. And we're able to tap into that rhythm and manipulate those bones just a little and that soft tissue structure of the body and the body corrects. It's it's very powerful. There's some energy component to it. So, you know, we always check down the midline of the body and, and check the chakras and make sure that they are clear. But it's also founded, as I said, cranial sacral therapy is a little different in that there is an energy component to it, but it's founded in western medicine it's like the bridge of the two worlds
0: beautiful actually i was just reading an article the other day uh, which stated that as uh, humans our body emits continuous vibrations or movements i would say from three areas in our body one is the heart the other is in our lungs through breathing and the third is in our brains and what it mentioned was that the easiest way for us to control that vibration is through our breathing because that's it's so difficult to control our heart. It's impossible to control our heart. And now you mentioned that through craniosacral therapy, we can uh, use pressure and touch different parts of our skull to sort of induce and enhance our heads. If I'm, I'm not putting it correctly, but...
1: <laughs> Yep, we, that's exactly what we're doing. We are improving brain function. We're improving the environment the brain sits in. Mm-hmm. If you improve how the brain works, the brain controls all the systems of the body, and we're not just touching the head. I mean, we could be working at the feet. We could be working at the spine. It it's really anywhere in the body. It the cranial rhythm is a system like your heart rate um, or your breathing. Okay, it never stops. But you can pause it, and when you pause it, it reconfigures, like hard booting your computer. You turn it off for a while, you turn it back on, it reconfigures. Cranial sacral therapy's still point technique functions the same way. So it's it's really fascinating. I've for my children that I work with, I've had Behavioral issues resolved. Um, Educational things where the children weren't grasping. All of a sudden, they're able to grasp those things. I've had nonverbal children begin to speak. Issues where they are chronic bedwetters or failure to potty train. And those issues resolve. So, yeah, very inspirational.
0: So what would you tell other parents that are on the same journey with their children right now?
1: The first thing to do, I think, when you have a child that's diagnosed is become the expert in autism. Not just your child's presentation, but learn about autism because your child's going to evolve. And the more you know and understand about the disability, the more you can find ways and the support your child needs. The second thing is to find out and evaluate your child in every area so you understand your child's presentation of autism. Nobody knows your child better than you. You spend the most time with your child than anybody else. So you will be able to work with those strengths to build up those deficits.
0: Well, thanks a lot for sharing. And we have finally reached the health tip round, during which our guests share one health tip that can be implemented. Right away. So, what is it? One tip that
1: you can share with our audience? I start every day with ten minutes of meditation, and it doesn't have to be a structured meditation. I am awake. My hands are placed on my body, usually on my thighs or on my hips. I tap into my breathing. I assess where my body is at. I thank. God, for the supports and the help I've had along the way and to let me be the best person I could be today. You take five minutes with yourself every day. We'll do a world of good for reducing your anxiety and your depression just by having those few minutes to breathe. No, it doesn't have to have music. You just need any, any one little spot to do it in. That's my daily inspiration Mm -hmm.
0: well thanks a lot for that health tip the soul would have no rainbow if the eyes had no tears now this is a native american proverb and with this powerful thought we move on to the challenge round so tammy tell us about a time when you faced a major challenge or crisis tell us what were some of the feelings you were going through and then how did you approach that challenge
1: uh The biggest dilemma was that I was in a predicament with my child. She never qualified for supportive services in the educational domain here in the United States. Not once. Regardless of the fact that she had those 40 seizures and those debilitating shutdown days and all those other areas. And the problem you have is that if you don't qualify for services... There's no way to, to alter the educational presentation or what requirements your child has. I had paid $17,000 to an attorney to find out that I would have to pay another twenty-five to get it through the court system that I would need to get help. I started thinking out of the box. I have no other way to put it. I did my research. I understood what I was facing. I started thinking out of the box, and by doing so, I was able to sort of manipulate that system to get the services we needed without having to go to court.
0: Mm-hmm. So in retrospect, what is it one major life lesson that you would want our listeners to take away from your story?
1: You can learn an awful lot from children with autism. Sometimes it's just a matter of sitting back and observing them, and they can open up a world to you that you didn't even know was there.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thanks a lot for sharing your story with us. I know it's not easy to go back into a moment of challenge or crisis where you feel like you cannot move ahead. But because you took the time to think about a situation, you thought out of the box, you took action, you have effectively provided our listeners with one more reason to take action. So thanks a lot for that story. You're welcome. And with that, we move on to the next round, which is... About finding your life's true calling or your life's purpose. Now, finding your life's calling is not an easy task, but listening to stories about others can surely help us find inspiration, motivation, and courage. Now, at a certain point in our lives, we lose control of what's happening to us and our lives become controlled by fate. That is the world's greatest lie. And this is by Paulo Coelho. So, my question to you, Tammy, is
1: Have you found your calling? If yes, What is your calling? My calling is helping children and families with autism and facilitating those services any way I can to help them on their journey. I realized the day I discovered this is what I was meant to do, I remember the day my life changed in trying to help my child and how it opened up a world of faith inside of me that opened up new doors. So... I couldn't figure out what was going on with Heather. I would drop her off in the morning. This was like fifth, sixth grade. She'd say, bye, Ma, see you later. And at 3 o'clock, the kid I picked up was like a vegetable. She couldn't make eye contact. She couldn't be touched. She couldn't talk. By the time I drove her the few blocks home, she would crawl into the house, into a cubby hole in her closet, where she would rock and stem. At times, she would just have like a little... I don't know, like a mantra, can't get my brain to work, brain mixed up, brain hurts. And other times it was, body doesn't work. Sometimes she would talk, but it wasn't in sequential order, so I couldn't understand what she was saying. And one day I decided to get into the closet with her, and I just prayed that I would find a way to connect with her to find a way to help. And as I got in the closet, I realized that if I got too close to her, she shut down further. If I was too far away from her, I couldn't connect. So I I started leaning in, just moving very slightly, little by little. And I started mimicking her movement and her rocking until we were rocking as if we were one. And I realized that there was a, a line, like a energy barrier between us and, and that she felt it differently than I did Right, I wasn't even touching her yet she could feel me and I realized that there was energy to be used that I needed to learn about and by connecting with her and sharing that energy I could ask her questions and she could answer me But I had to learn very quickly not to be too close or too far away. I started reading about energy and I learned about Reiki and Reiki energy. And that was the first tool I used to connect with my child. It was in that moment in that closet that I realized that I had prayed and asked and had faith and a door opened. And to this day, I still use that energy component when I'm working with these children. And just as I could find where my daughter's energy field was, I can find where these children, where their fields are and what triggers them. And, and that was the day I knew I would have to work with these children.
0: Well, that is one of the most beautiful and inspirational stories I've heard in a while. So thanks a lot for sharing. It is so profound, uh, the fact that you mentioned and you spoke about the energy field. And uh, it's something that uh, when when people are first exposed to the fact that we have an energy field or we have an aura around us or we have this biomagnetism, uh, it's difficult to believe. But once you feel it in your palms, in your body, and as you mentioned, uh, between you and your daughter, uh, you feel really excited because it's so powerful, and it just makes you want to learn more. Am I correct? It's absolutely. I couldn't get enough information about it. Wonderful. Now, we've reached the final round, which is called the wisdom round, during which I will ask you a series of questions, and you will respond with short but action-packed answers. So, are you ready? Yes. Great. What is the best advice you have ever received? Time is your ally. Use it wisely. Mm-hmm. So name a personal habit that contributes to your well-being. Uh,
1: my 15-minute morning meditation. I do it every day. I assess my day. I, in my head, decide uh, what my day will be like. If you start your day saying how happy it'll be, then your day starts off happy every day. That
0: transitions wonderfully into the next question that I want to ask you, which is what is your morning Ritual-like, if you could describe the first two hours of your day.
1: My alarm goes off, take my 15 minutes of meditation and assess my day. If the weather permits, I go outside and I walk barefooted, usually let the dogs out. But I like to ground myself. And uh, I'm in Wisconsin, so you can't always walk barefooted outside. True. But I like to feel the air at least on my face for a little bit in the morning. Then I make a nice cup of green tea and I start organizing for the day, taking a shower, getting my work stuff together, assessing how many clients I'll have in a day or what that day brings, prepare the foods I'm going to eat since uh, I think you are what you eat. So I'm fairly organic. And uh, then I get off to work. That's my morning routine every day.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Now we come to the final question. Apart from your book, Uh,
1: what is one book that has made a significant impact on your life? You know, I thought long and hard about this question for the longest time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I could give one clear answer. Mm -hmm. I've read wonderful autobiographies that are incredibly inspirational. Um, I've read books about energy and movement that have been inspiring to me. I think that when you find your true journey and you listen to to what your heart and your mind tells you, that you can find inspiration and wisdom everywhere. Um, but I racked my brains to find one book that I could recommend. I, I know that sounds terrible, probably. Probably your only guest that has not done that, you know. I, I do read Old Testament inspirational quotes, you know. I mean... The written word, I think, is so powerful that that I embrace it. And I've, I've read books in my faith, in other people's faith, that have inspired me, even though they're not in my in my, you know, part of my religion. So I hope that answer is okay.
0: So just to clarify, you would recommend the written word as in, would you refer to the Bible?
1: I would. I would. I read Old Testament. Okay. I believe in anything that helps you become the best person you can be, is a book worth reading. Beautiful.
0: That is profound. And action takers, links, and key points discussed here are available in the show notes. So, Tammy, it was an honor having you on our show today. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're really grateful for, a way by which our listeners can get to know more about you. And then we'll say goodbye.
1: I'm grateful for this opportunity and hopefully enlighten more parents with children with autism to find help for their own children. I can be reached at my email is Tammy, TAM as in Mary I dot CST one at Gmail dot com, my website, www.comingthroughthefog.com. coming through the fog dot com.
0: So listeners and action takers, in case you enjoyed the content, the inspirational words, the stories that uh, Tammy spoke about today, and you want to learn more, then go to coming and you will get access to more information, more knowledge and more ways in which you can help your friends, your family or others who might uh, be going through a similar challenge uh, cope up so Tammy thank you so much for sharing your inspirational story today and taking our listeners our action takers one step closer to a human revolution
1: thank you AJ really I appreciate the opportunity you're listening to my seven chakras go to my s-e-v-e-n chakras.com download your free gift get inspired and take action Transform your life today.